this is the Recession Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm Sam Newell, your host, and it is my goal to educate you on how to make profitable, low-risk real estate investments that will cash flow through any economy. Through these interviews, my hope is that you will learn from the mistakes and also the successes of the top real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the country. The idea for this podcast hatched out of my desire to find out what these industry leaders have learned and implemented since the 2008 recession and also what they're doing to prepare for the next downturn. Tune in and become recession proof. All right, Scott. Hey, man. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm excited to have you on today. Yeah, thanks, Sam. It's good to be here. Well, I appreciate it. We've got a mutual friend in Casey, and I'm glad she introduced us. Um, I I love having high caliber caliber individuals like you on the podcast, and I'm really excited for our listeners. I'm going to have Scott introduce himself, but um, the focus of this podcast is investing. And and yes, I do real estate investing. Scott does as well. But um, today, I think we're we're going to be treated with a number of different views, lessons learned, different things from a broader perspective. Because Scott, you not only do real estate, but you do, you've invested in businesses and multiple other things um, for quite a while. And, and so tell yeah. our listeners a little bit about what you do and, and um, what you've done. Sure. Well, I've, I've been in the financial services industry for about 30 years, Sam. And um, back in the 90s, I remember a client coming in who was a builder developer and he was talking about, hey, can you help me find money? Well, no, I can't do that. I can't go out and help you find money. But what are you doing? And it was interesting to me. And so I remember uh, getting permission from Merrill Lynch at the time for my wife and I to invest alongside in real estate and a real estate development here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So from real estate to helping start other businesses, uh, I've worked for Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Wachovia Securities, Raymond James, and then about uh, seven years ago, opened my own financial services firm. And uh, it's just, I think it's the greatest industry in the country. So I'm not biased, though, by any way. By sure, any sure. Well, and, and I think what you and I and, and a number of people have common is you really enjoy helping people make good decisions and, yes. and building their portfolio. And there's principles that are the same, whether it's real estate or the stock market or whatever it is, you know, you can be a conservative, conservative, well-educated investor. And a minute ago, we were talking about, um, maybe we'll just hit on this right away since we're on the topic, but staying in your lane and, um, you know, China's got some, some issues with a real estate fund crashing and investors from all over the world suffering from that. So let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. I mean, think about that. Imagine if you were or are are an American investor, and if you have money and real estate in China and are facing losing it all, mm-hmm. yet you're sitting here in the U.S. in the hottest real estate market I've seen in my lifetime, how, how disturbing would that be? Yeah. And so one of the things is when you're sitting in the middle of a country or an economy, more particular, a sector, specifically with you guys, real estate, that you're very comfortable with. Why go get into another country, even a country that has adversarial political climate, uh, when you have great opportunities right here within your own borders? So it really does come back to that simple, stay with what you know. When you're comfortable with something, many times we work with business owners and their best investment is Mm themselves. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's just, that's tried and true. 
Well, and, and that's what I like is I like proven systems. I really like being conservative and I like um, low risk. And so, you know, I, I actually have a consultation with a good friend of mine tomorrow, just spending 15 minutes with him for free. I'm not trying to sell him anything. He's, he's, he may or may not invest with us, but he said, Hey, I'm looking at this fourplex in Cleveland. Can you help me analyze it? And I, I know Cleveland well, and he sent me the address and he sent me the numbers and he thinks, he said, I think I'm going to buy it. So this is a, on a smaller scale, but a really good example of stick with what you know, because I happen to know the neighborhood he's in, he wants to invest in and you have to carry a gun to collect rent in that, in that neighborhood. Mm. It's scary. It's a scary, that scary neighborhood. Tough. And, and we've passed up deals in that neighborhood that looked good on paper. Mm. Um, so talking about China or whatever people are investing in, you really need to educate yourself, but then really have some type of track record. You can lean on some predictability um, to not lose big. And, and I think people yeah. get so obsessed with these high returns and I often tell yes. investors, if you're looking for grand slam home runs, ridiculous out of the park returns, we're probably not the group for you. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important for people to remember is yeah. that you just can't get greedy. Well, it's the difference between gambling and investing. Right. I mean, investing is making a reasonable return over time, over time. Uh, you said something earlier, you're conservative. I, I've had people say, hey, I'm a conservative long-term investor. I said, okay, well, what does that mean to you? Well, that means I'd like to double my money by the end of the week. Well, <laughs> that's, yep. not a, that's not a conservative or long-term, but I use that uh, ridiculous example as words matter. Mm -hmm. And so what you may think is conservative, someone else may think is aggressive, but when you go back to the return, how much do you need to make to have to go collect rent at, with a gun, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and, and what is a re reasonable return? And then lastly is return of your money is just as important, just as important as return on your money. Right. So if you yeah, don't get your money back, you know, there's an issue. That's number one. And, yeah. and even in, in business, when you start to develop a portfolio of investments and you start to look at diversification among asset classes, among markets, um, and among industry, you, a, a reasonable return should be the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. I mean, a good return on your money should be the bare minimum. The next question should be, how does it align with what I'm already doing? Mm -hmm. Does it add value or increase my visibility to potentially exponentially help me on another deal? Mm -hmm. Does it bring credibility to me in a marketplace? Am I gaining um, recognition for my knowledge within a marketplace, or am I just chasing returns? So a good return should be the starting point. Mm -hmm. And then how does it exponentially help me? How does it help other businesses I'm doing? And does it really align with who I am and how I like to do business as well? Absolutely. And I, and I love your motto, you know, aligning wealth with purpose. You know, I read that on, on your website and, and your bio. And I think that's really important because again, people get too stuck on the dollars and cents and yeah. the purpose of an investment isn't just to make money. It, it's to build a portfolio and to achieve goals. Yeah. And one of our goals as, as an investment group is to also provide good housing for people. So yes. we're not just buying these housing developments and nickeling and diming the property manager and and nickeling and diming the tenants, we actually 
want the tenants to feel like they're living in a better environment than when we bought it with nicer amenities. And that's one of our purposes. Absolutely. We we call that kind of a business 360 model Mm -hmm. that everyone involved in the transaction from the buyer to the seller to the tenant in this situation can all celebrate what the product is. You all are gaining from uh, one of the money management firms we use out of Boston. Um, their, their firm's posture is we invest in companies that make the world rejoice. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a beautiful nice. thought. So when we talk about aligning wealth with purpose, it really is, it really hits our new clients in two ways. Number one, we have to get to know them well enough to know their purpose. So that's an investment. That's an investment on our part and their part. Right. So it builds, it builds trust trust and relationship. And then second, because so many of us and so many people in our country have been busy throughout their life earning, they may not know their purpose today. Mm -hmm. And so now we go even deeper. We actually have had tears shed in the conference room around what pierces the heart of our client. Because this money, while I wait and give it away to someone or somebody when you pass away, what can you do now to wow. fulfill how you feel God has made you? What is your purpose? Your What pierces your heart? That's kind of the way I say it. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And and most, again, most, I feel investors are, are really focused on dollars and cents. And um yeah, I, th- I think that's huge. And that can come back and bite you, like you just said. If yeah. you're looking at, and, and we all need to admit, pro formas are pro formas are as, just as good as numbers on a piece of paper, right? Yep. It's the execution of a pro forma. It is, um, we find that the values of a company we invest in matter. Mm-hmm. Values matter. Um, and in today's world, we are working hard to help our clients keep more. So keep more what? Keep more of their wealth, keep mm-hmm. more of their returns, keep more of their income. Because we're living in a time where it seems like everyone's trying to take and you end up with less if you're not careful. So mm-hmm. um, the return, so how much you make and how much you keep is very important. I love it. And you mentioned the, the company values. Um, I, I tell the story all the time and it's really important to me that my investors understand it and my partners understand it. But in 2018, I left a company where I was making for myself a, a fantastic income, more than I had ever made. And I was very unhappy because there was no company values. And in fact, the reason I left is because I had to choose to have a you know, execute my fiduciary duty with my clients and be honest and be a good person, frankly, or do what the company asked, was asking me to do. And it was a very negative, unfortunate situation. Um, The investors were not keeping as much as they should have kept. They were not being put in the best situation. And I, I made that decision to never work with anyone where as long as I did, you know, I knew I needed to leave, but I waited to leave. And so now, if there's anybody that even skirts the gray area, we don't work with them. If that's there's good. anything that's even a little bit gray or a little bit leaning towards not being conservative or not what's not best for our clients, 
Um, and, and you also have to be a good, fun person to work with. So we don't we don't put up with people that aren't aligned with with what we're thinking as far as integrity and just doing the right thing and having fun doing it. Frankly, is you got to have fun in this business as well. If if well, and if everyone has integrity, it's it's a lot more fun. Well, you really touch on something that kind of reminds me of even your title, which is recession proof. Mm -hmm. um, real estate, or I go back to 2005, six and seven in the real estate markets as a financial advisor, I had the privilege of meeting with Jeremy Grantham. And he was talking in May of 2005, that over 80% of all mortgages were interest only, or negatively amortized. Oh, my gosh. And I remember him saying it was a group of about 50 of us at Goldman Sachs. And he said, Listen, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying we're at the top. I'm not saying where the top is because no one knows where the top is. What I'm telling you is the month after the top, this will become the most illiquid asset you've ever seen in your adult life. Wow. And Sam, I remember he sat wow. down on his stool as the keynote speaker and stopped talking. And then back then I was on my Blackberry texting my team. Okay, we need to be getting out of real estate. We got to start. <laughs> Because it can be wow. an illiquid asset anyway. Mm -hmm. And so it goes back to values. If, if everyone is starting to milk an asset for every ounce they can get out of it, and everyone starts to believe it's all about the Benjamins, and we're going to just take real estate to the moon, you have to step back and say, okay, I know that's not a fair price. Yep. How much is enough for me to make? And when am I willing to take money off the table and miss, and this is a tough thing, mm -hmm. to miss more money on the table. I mean, think about it. how many of us have sold a piece of uh, real estate or a stock and looked at it six months later and calculated yep. how much we would have made had we not sold. Right. 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 Well, if we have values around fair dealings, and then if we have a level of what are my parameters to get in and out of a deal? I believe you have a clearer picture of the markets and you'll take a more pragmatic approach to values, deals, acquisitions, and sales. And I think that helps you become recession proof because you're not gonna get blinded by the dollars. You're gonna be looking at fundamental values around the transaction. And that paid off for us as a financial services firm. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I personally, to we sold our primary residence on the ocean here, second row on the ocean in Myrtle Beach, the first business day of 2006. Wow. wow. And practice what we preached. We were, we were getting out of a, a, an asset class. So what do we learn and how do we apply it today? So those values matter, your principles matter, and how you look at a transaction matters. I, I love that. And, you know, we have unwavering what we call our underwriting principles, where if the deal doesn't mm. match those numbers. We don't buy it no matter yeah. what, even though people's projections may be up here, they may be yep. so much better. And, and so we're losing a lot of investors, frankly, and deals mm -hmm. to these other syndicators, fund managers who are banking on the market, staying as hot, hot as it is. And we simply don't ever bank on that. So I'm, I'm curious you mentioned some underwriting principles or um, having a more pragmatic approach based on what you learned in 2005, six, seven. 
how are you guys approaching things today? Because again, we don't know if we're at the top of the market. I know it's crazy hot. I know we're not doing a lot of deals because we're nervous about how hot it is and how Mm -hmm. up high it can go or low it can go. So kind of explain maybe some principles you guys are implementing now and, and how you're approaching things. Yeah. So it's really important. What I'm about to say is educational, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't have a trusted financial advisor and more importantly, a fiduciary, not mm-hmm. a salesperson, but a fiduciary, um, go meet with a trust, find a trusted fiduciary who's a financial advisor, but kind of some lessons learned. And what are we looking at now is I think we all could be real honest. We we've, we've called this the great migration that's going on in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And what's fueling the great migration isn't as important as where are the dollars coming from that the people are buying these homes where the market's hot. Because I think we could go find some parts of the country where the market values are going down. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, in 05 and 06, I was telling our team for the most part, the baby boomers were driving the market move in Nevada, Arizona, the Carolinas, in Florida, because they actually had been spun into a frenzy that they thought, if I don't go buy my retirement home now, there'll be none left when we get there. Yeah, <laughs> It yeah. was a feeding frenzy. Lotteries, and it was crazy what was going on. Well, today, you have people leaving parts of the country and they put their house up for sale and then they get four offers over the asking price. And then they move to their final destination and put cash in their pocket and get a nicer home. That's, yeah. that's what, so I think we all need to watch and look when do those sellers put their home on the market and four offers don't come. And then right. it sits there a week. And then it sells, huh? That's something, that's a shot across the bow. Yeah. And then we start to see the markets that, that they're leaving, put their house up, no offers come in and they start to have to cut prices. I think that, and that's personal. I think that will be the beginning of the end of the great migration. And when the music stops, we have to be very careful that we're not leveraged, that we haven't, gone outside of our comfort zone and that we're willing to live through the historical 13 to 15 year real estate cycle from right. peak from peak to trough or trough to trough so peak to peak or trough to trough and right. think about it the peak the peak was really late 05 early 06 and here we are 15 years later at another peak yep so we're we're getting a little long in the tooth and that's the pragmatic part, right? It's, huh, while history may not repeat itself, it certainly rhymes. Sure. And once you get caught on the other side of a joint and several guarantee and the real estate's now worth less than you owe on it, that's the most painful education. So for your young followers, please learn from the old guy who has been on the wrong side personally of mm-hmm. a real estate turn in the crash of 2000 and then the, the crisis of 9-11. That was very bad. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my, that was my education. That was your education and everyone yep. needs one. And the purpose of the podcast is to learn from 2001, 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, and hopefully help a few people avoid some mistakes. 
Um, but yeah. what you said was very interesting and, and the way people are buying, I'm, I'm watching um, projections and pro formas come out that are just um, a little bit ridiculous. And one thing that we do is we're buying in, in markets where there's not a huge amount of growth. You know, Cleveland is very, very stable. The population hasn't changed much since the 1960s. It's stable, um, has the number two hospital in the world, but it's, it's fairly stable. El Paso, extremely stable, fourth safest city yeah. in the U.S. And so I was, I was looking over a pro forma that we put together for our El Paso deal. And one of our partners said, you know, I, I just don't know if I like this deal. I'd rather be in Phoenix where the growth is ridiculous and the pro formas look really, really good. Mm. And I said, okay, mm. well, let's just, let's change your pro forma in Phoenix and, and let's see what happens if the market crashes and what happened last time in Phoenix when the market crashed. And right. um, that was interesting to take his pro forma and do a worst case scenario because all of his return was based on not consistent cash List. flow, but these <laughs> giant equity increases, you know, these giant yeah. values going up mm. and ours is more based on, well, if value goes up great. That's, we just want icing on the cake. Stable cash flow is what we want. Mm. And so it's interesting how um, e even, I mean, this guy's invested in, in a lot of units. He, he even let himself get caught in chasing some, some yields. And he oh, came yeah. back down to earth and, and kind of just blinked and looked at me and said, holy crap, yeah. I, I, thank you for pointing that out. You know, and, that's, and so that's what we know. do. That's really good because you want to look at what's comparative. Uh, again, you can look at the public markets and see what high yield is paying. You can see what REITs are paying. So regardless of what asset class we're talking about, you, you do need to do what is best case, worst case, and, and reasonable expectations. I, I, in 1999, I actually had a client upset with us because our tech fund was only up 100% and his buddies was up 140%. Oh, wow. So, and then, <laughs> and then March of 2000 was the great meltdown of the dot-com era. And, right. and so we had, even back then, as young as I was, we saw that you just couldn't keep up this pace. And we were trying to be reasonable. But what happens, and, and I find this a lot, is if an asset starts to get too big in a person's portfolio and it's too much of their wealth, they start taking it out at night and, and petting it and looking at the values and how sweet and, and how this has changed their life. And they, they go through these unreasonable emotional attachments yep. to this, this dollar amount. And then they can't part with it right? because it'd be, so that's the pragmatic versus emotional. And so right now um, we have to look at while this market is fit being fueled by the great migration, lending is in line. We don't have the, you know, 16 loans to one person that didn't have a right. job like right. in 2006. Right. So, but there's a different fuel and prices can only go up so much more until people just stop by, mm -hmm. right? So I, I really like your point you brought up about when you're looking at a pro forma, when you're looking at a stock projection, when you're looking at anything, if you're taking the best of the times and then someone's trying to project that forward for you, three, five, 10, 15 years, run from them. Yeah. Run from them. Please. Because <laughs> it, it's a business cycle is really three to five years. And when we talk about the markets, 
We've even gotten more short-term, about six to 18 months, but you want to own something five to 10 years, but volatility can show up in a way that you need to, you need to be very careful, have dry powder, cash is king and be liquid. Yeah. So right, right now is the time to, how, how much do you need before you start taking money off the table? That's right. a personal discipline that you have to answer that question or you're going to get in trouble. Yeah, it's, it's huge. And, and um, I think the big problem now is it's so easy to raise money. That is mm. so hard to be disciplined. I mean, you know, if I threw out a pro forma, like some of these people throw out, you know, they're funding 10 and $20 million projects in a week because their pro forma looks amazing. And so the temptation for a lot of these people like you and I, who work with investors is it's pretty easy to, to raise money right now. And yeah, when, when do you just decide as a fiduciary, um, you know what, it, it's time to maybe sit back a little and be conservative and avoid yeah. the temptation of jumping in with, you know, I think what it, is it Warren Buffett that said when everyone else is excited, Fearful. be scared, you know, yeah, he, said, he says is, it. I love it is when everyone else is uh, greedy, be fearful. Mm -hmm. Whenever everyone else is fearful, be greedy. Right. And he is, it, it's the contrarian, right? Because the masses historically are never right. Mm -hmm. They're just not. And so when my elevator repairman in 1999 was telling me about his dot-com portfolio that he was day trading, reminded me when I heard my land, my irrigation installer telling me about the four spec houses he was doing down the street in oh, 2006, right? Yeah, so yeah. You, that's, that, that's that Warren Buffett. Um, and so wealth is something you amass over time. If you get it in the short term or if you were lucky on something, just count it for what it is. You were lucky. You caught the cycle right. You, your, your son talked you into Bitcoin at five cents a Bitcoin <laughs> and you sold it at 65. That fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not what we're talking about. And as a fiduciary, I have to put my client's best interest above my own. Mm -hmm. But the truth is I grew up to Zig Ziglar, John Maxwell and Larry Burkett and Zig Ziglar had a saying, if I can help everyone around, I'm love paraphrasing. It. I, I love I, this it. is my, re yeah. If I can help everyone around me achieve their dreams and goals, I don't have to worry about mine. Right. And then John Maxwell taught me the fundamentals of values and leadership. And Larry Burkett taught me biblical financial principles. And so, you know, if, if you can look at what you're trying to achieve and then help others. So a fiduciary makes sense for me. Because right. I, I get to put your interest or my client's interest above my own. Right. So, so sometimes I have to pull back on the reins, take them a little more conservative. They're a little mm -hmm. too aggressive. There's like everything is. And then some I have to kind of encourage. Right. No, you need to be a little more growth minded because you don't have, uh, you need a little more growth and income to sustain your life. So I Got get to it. play that role. So it's very personal with every, with every client. No, I like that. And Zig Ziglar is one of my all-time favorites. Um, right. Just, I mean, I have oh. so many of his audio books I've listened to so many times and I, I love his, I wish I could have ever, I never got to see him live. I wish I could have seen him live, but um, yeah, if you help enough other people get what they want, you'll get what That's you it. want as well. That's yeah. it. That's it. Um,
And, and so what's interesting about our business is really that's all you have to do. If, if you have investors, you look at their goals. And when you look at a deal or an investment, it meets their criteria or it helps them by default in, in my position, I'm going to make money and I'm going to grow my portfolio as well. And, um, that's, I think the funnest thing about my business is if I want to win, they're going to win or, you know, they have to win first. Right. Yeah. And I like that. I like and that's actually why I got in the business because as a mm. real estate sales agent, the thing I didn't like is selling someone a fourplex or a 20 plex or a 100 plex. And I was done. And a, there's always temptation from, you know, realtors to sell stuff. That's not a good deal to someone because your benefit, your income isn't affected by what happens. You know, you get a commission and then you're done, then you're out. Right. And so what I wanted is I wanted to be tied to the outcome and I wanted mm. to help provide a better outcome for my investors and to also um, be, able, be able to control it. Cause there's a lot of people that, you know, they're surgeons, they don't have time to manage their, their real estate portfolio and they were doing a poor job of it. So um, I really enjoy being able to be a part of the outcome and having my income and my portfolio tied to my investors and um, being able to make sure that we've got everyone's best interest in mind. Yeah, I start. I was in uh, right out of college. I started in life, health, and disability insurance, and then learned real quick. You, you really, my client never wanted to see me coming with a check because mm -hmm. that meant something not good has happened to them. And I remember thinking, yeah. gosh, I'd like to. I'd like for them to want to see me coming with a check, right? right and that's right. what got me into financial planning. And uh, I started with Merrill Lynch in 92. And as you look at aligning yourself with others, I, it goes back again to values principle. Probably number one is chemistry. Mm -hmm. you, you, I think we tell our the people who are prospective, I talk with my financial advisors, prospective clients. I mean, first and foremost, we, we need to like each other. Right. I mean, who wants to do business with someone they don't like? Right. So, so that that's a fun get to know each other part of the financial services industry that we enjoy. No, I, I like that, and that was one of my 2018 epiphanies. Is I have to like who I'm in business with, and we'll refuse money from investors that unfortunately they're just not fun to work with, and it'd be nice to have their, their money and, and their investments in our deals. But um, I think that's a really important side of the business that not a lot of people focus on is, you know, everyone does better um, when you're aligned and, and when mm -hmm. you have the same principles. And, and um, so that's kind of one thing for us, but I do want to ask you about John Maxwell because Zig Ziglar is one of my all-time favorites, John Maxwell as well. I mean, you've had some personal dealings and involvement in, in that organization and with him personally. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, John is the real deal. He, what you see is what you get. Yep. Um, he, he loves to add value to someone every day. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm probably, there's so many of us that say we're his number one fan, number one cheerleader, and we love him and he loves you. I mean, it's just, he's an amazing man. But I've had the privilege of being part of the, his foundation, uh, the John Maxwell Leadership Foundation, mm -hmm. and uh, the CEO of his organization, Mark Cole, who runs John Maxwell Companies, mm -hmm. and now is uh, buying John. It, John is retiring in corporate world, but he still has his clientele. Okay. And Mark is uh, taking over the John Maxwell Companies. And then our foundation, uh, we do country transformation. 
So we work with countries uh, around the world where the president, Congress, and the military invite us in to build value-based leadership. Wow. And it's a gift to the country. And it is amazing, amazing. And it's John's passion, as it is all of ours. And then um, we also do community transformation around the world mm-hmm. and also have a, a salt and light program. But it is everything that he writes in his books, he, he lives. And so, and it's a lot about what you and I are talking about today was our values, mm-hmm. valuing each other, human to human. Yeah. And then what are our personal values? And then how should they be emulated in our business? Right. Um, and I'm working right now on a book and it's a lot of language from the Maxwell organization, the eight streams of cultural influence. Okay. And it's so many of us today are frustrated with culture. Mm-hmm. And what we don't realize is we have the culture we deserve. We've allowed culture to form under our feet. And so um, it's about how do you influence culture? How do you use your influence to first clean up the stream you're in? So you and I are in the business stream. Right. And a lot of what we're talking about today is cleaning up our stream of influence where we don't need to have a Russian negotiated deal. Everyone, the other person doesn't have to lose for me to win. Right. We can, we can all win and make a lot of money in this country because of capitalism. So yeah, the, the John Maxwell Foundation, the John Maxwell companies are um, second to none in value-based leadership, period. I agree. I agree. And, and um, you, you know, I think when you deal with people, you, you can feel a huge difference in the leadership and the um, overall feeling of the organization when yes. maybe it's not John Maxwell, but they have John Maxwell-esque leadership fundamentals in, in the, in the group. And, and so I'll go to these mastermind groups with, you know, billion dollar portfolio managers, multi-billion dollar portfolio managers. And some of them are fantastic. They're really fun to sit down with down to earth, like, like you and, and just fantastic individuals. And um, some of them aren't. And, and Mm. I think what, what people find out very quickly is, you know, where, where are your fundamentals? Where are your values? And, um, you know, they're, they're probably still doing great, but, um, it's very interesting to me when I meet with these, all these different, um, people that are running these different companies and representatives of companies, how much more, how much nicer it is to deal with those individuals Mm -hmm. and how much better they ultimately do when you're at these networking events or when they're trying to raise money and, and gain partners. Um, I mean, it, it really, it, it really, the word spreads fast about who you are as a person yeah, and it really doesn't does. matter how good your business is or how good you are at business. You know, something I, I learned, um, I tripped over it accidentally uh, about seven years ago when I was opening up my own firm, I, I, my wife and I sat down and talked and we said, you know, it's time for me to at least um, semi-retire mm-hmm. because we, we had practice what we preached over the years and uh, God had been gracious to us. And we really had a heart for different ministries and, and things around the world. It was a couple of years before I met John and um, we were telling people, Hey, Scott's semi-retiring. Pamela's going to be retiring fully. She's a doctor. And 
it was the best marketing thing I ever did in my life. All of a sudden, everybody <laughs> wanted to do business oh, wow. with me. And so something must have happened. Either A, I stopped trying so hard and actually did start genuinely giving the person in front of me the time and the care that I, that is natural of me. Something happened. Um, and all of a sudden, our firm has set record. I mean, we're growing like gangbusters and ministries are growing. We're around the world now helping people. And um, I get to meet John Maxwell and now I serve in his foundation. And my wife's chairman of African New Life. And we're doing all this stuff and we get to add value to people. And meanwhile, it seems like my businesses are growing faster than any time I tried hard. That's so, awesome. Maybe at 30, y'all should tell everybody you're semi-retiring as a market. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> but something happened. And so I, I, I do think a part of it was I, I became, maybe we became attractive versus trying to get something happened that I think is very important to think about. We all want to grow, but are we paying attention to that person in front of us? Are we genuinely trying to add value to them? Or are we still trying to manipulate our way to a sale, to a close, right. to a deal, to a new client? And, and that happened for me. And again, stumbled over it. Uh, but it was the best thing I ever did professionally was semi-retiring. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> well, and I think maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming some of the pressure was lifted from your, maybe your, your goals changed just slightly. I don't know. I don't know what that would be, but um, yeah, I, I think too, you, you do, we, especially people that are around financial, we measure everything. So I do think that there was a sense of, I don't need to keep pacing at the, the pace I did, but all of a sudden it was a turbocharger came in. Right. And so for me, as I look back, the fruit is the things we were talking about in this mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. And had I known that 20 years earlier, who knows what could have been different. And so yeah. I think if I can add anything to everyone is the things we've been saying, not only do they matter, but they work because people want to be loved. They want to be appreciated and they want to be an authentic relationship. I know I do. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say that people are the most important commodity, you know, and, yeah. and the most important aspect of any business. And I was actually talking with a good friend the other day, complaining about one of my partners and which you do at times you get frustrated. Sometimes people drop the ball and they said, well, why are they even on the team? And I'm like, well, a, they're an amazing person who I love and people aren't perfect. Like I'm not going to yeah. boot them from the company because they made a mistake. Um, and this friend of mine, she said, man, you love people too much. I'm like, no, I, I think it's the opposite. I think when you do that, the company will grow no matter what. We'll figure whatever it is that we're you know, working on that we're struggling with. We'll figure it out eventually. But I, I got to treat my partners best first and not yeah. come down on them and and my employees. And um, that's been the biggest difference with my company. Mm. And the way I'm moving forward is really just asking how the person is and making that the priority when stuff gets messed up. I mean, we're working on huge deals for us sure. anyways, $27 million deal right now. Ball was dropped a little bit, but at the end of the day, this person has wife and kids and goes home every day. I don't want to ruin their day and make them feel terrible. And it, 
at the end of the day, we can figure out whatever it was. Mm. Um, but that person is more important than the thing that we were working on. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to forgiveness and reconciliation, right? Is an amazing, powerful thing. And then through that, you can have restoration and thank God for it, for my wife would have divorced me a long time ago. So much less. <laughs> I was going to say, no one's, a, no one's perfect, right? You, you got to give, no, got to right. give and, and receive and, and be ready to, you know, hopefully give people a pass sometimes and, and also re- receive that same thing when you mess up. So that's, a, that's right. Yeah. One of my strongest relationships in the, in my company is someone who left um, about eight years ago with uh, an associate that was trying to do bad things to me and our business. Mm -hmm. Um, And she finally came to me after seeing he was, you know, that person um, may have not have been truthful with her. Yeah. Yeah. And we sat down and, and really needed to forgive each other and forgive each other. And we reconciled. And now we are so close. I That's mean, awesome. I just, it's amazing. And so I, I so get what you're saying about uh, when a partner or a, an associate or a team member messes up to really give them that second chance. And, and uh, cause you're going to need it one day for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're getting short on time. I did want to ask you about Rwanda and kind of what you do in Africa and mm. just any other charity, because I think the happiest I'm ever in life is when I'm helping others. I love yes. what I do. Um, I love helping my kids and I love serving others though. And, and I know when I'm not thinking about myself and how much money I want to make and the new car I want to buy, I, when I'm not thinking about those things and I'm thinking about how to improve others' lives, that's when I've always been the happiest. You know, I served a, a Christian Mormon mission for my church for in Peru for mm, two years. Fantastic. All I thought about six and a half days a week was preaching Jesus. You know, that that's all mm-hmm. I did. How can I help this person understand what's in the Bible and, and accept Jesus? And, and I didn't, I didn't read the, read the newspaper as a missionary. You are absolutely restricted from watching TV, reading newspaper, doing anything for yourself other than trying to bring people to the gospel. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different religions, but I think a, a lot of people's or Christianity's baseline is serving others. And I think that's really, really important to, even if you're not Christian, let's say you're atheist, it, it's, sure. it's still a life principle that when you aren't selfish and you're giving, you will be happier. So I'm really curious your take and, and to hear about your, your charities. Yeah. You know, we talk about faith a lot because no faith is a faith. And so we all believe something. We all have some, you know, there we're all, let's just say we can all agree we're human. And I tell you what we're, what's going on in, in Rwanda. And I, I said earlier about forgiveness and reconciliation 27 years ago was the genocide yeah. uh, perpetrated on the, to, the, the Tutsi by the Hutu. And imagine having, or being asked to forgive someone who murdered your family Um because they sought forgiveness and that whole country has been rebuilt on forgiveness, reconciliation and restoration. And uh, Africa new life is our ministry. We just had our 20th year uh, birthday. uh, I think yesterday, as a matter of fact, my wife is the chairperson and we currently feed, clothe, care and educate about 12,000 children a year. Wow. And those children move through the education system. 
We're in, I believe, eight villages. We've uh, planted churches. We dig wells. We grow gardens. And, and it's about the, the love of the person. And uh, that ministry is a Christian ministry. So it's the two hands of the gospel, the compassionate acts of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and his gospel saving message. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were fortunate to be a part of building uh, the second largest most state-of-the-art private hospital uh, that the ministry cares for. Uh, I think last year we saw over 50,000 people had over 800 babies born in the hospital. And um, it is amazing to go to that country. And I think every one of us should, because we would learn a few things. One, Americans, we we can't forgive each other for Facebook posts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, right. So to learn where, if we're not careful, where tribalism will lead us. Mm-hmm. And you and I were talking earlier about voting and politics. Look, we all vote. We all should vote. Vote and then cheer for the winner. We want our president and we want our Congress to do well. We want to do well as a country. And then campaign for your person the next time. Right. Vote for them and then cheer for the winner, right? I mean, yeah. And at the end of the day, we are countrymen. And so what we're doing in Rwanda is about our humanitarianism. And we can learn a lot from Rwanda. And they are now the second fastest growing economy in, uh, on the continent of Africa. Wow. They are the fifth safest country in the world to walk down the street at night. Wow. And they were just uh, recognized as the cleanest country on the planet. Holy How about cow. that? Yeah. Interesting. So if anyone no wants to go with us, you're more than welcome. If you'd like to go with Pamela and I to Rwanda, um, please let us know. You, I'm sure you can put up our, our website information. Yeah, I will. And then, if, and then if you love value-based leadership, and if you would like to be a part of community or country transformation with the John Maxwell Foundation, also reach out. And listen, you want to be near John Maxwell. He's on our trips. I'll be with him in Paraguay and Brazil soon wow. in the Dominican Republic. And you want to get to know him and his heart, come with us to one of the countries we're in. That sounds we'd amazing. love to spend time with. Yeah, that sounds amazing. One of my um, goals, probably for the past seven, well, since we had my daughter eight years ago, was to take my kids and do those type of service missions. Mm-hmm. And I grew up very poor. Um, my ex-wife grew up very wealthy, very different upbringings. And either way, we're we're both born in America and very very privileged. Poor in America, oh, very. Is very different than yes. poor in another country. Yes, and um, so as my kids have grown, I've been very worried about how spoiled they are. You know, I, I, I do okay. And they've never wanted for anything. So I've really wanted to prepare them. And I don't know at what age, but take them to Peru. Um, you know, come with us to Guatemala. We're doing amazing. Guatemala is Guatemala. We're transforming there. And, but it, you're right as Americans, and we're a product of our, our environment. We're very spoiled. Yeah. We're very fortunate. And we don't understand that we, even if you're, I grew up very poor for America. Mm-hmm. And yet I never went a day without a meal. Now I right. didn't always get three meals or, but I could get a meal if I wanted. I always had a roof over my head. Um, mm-hmm. And there are people who don't have that in our country. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, but poor in, in third world nations, it will align. Yes, it is. It is. 
I could always go get water out of a water spigot, you know, yep. when I was a kid. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very different. Well, um, man, this has been great, Scott. I really appreciate your time. Any, yeah, Sam. I mean, I, I would love for people to reach out to you and, and the, you know, what you guys are doing in other countries. Yes. Um, I'll make sure I have all the links, anything else you or your companies um, would like to plug or anything we can help promote for you and, and your wife and, and what you guys are doing. Well, I, I would say, again, if you if you don't have a, a, if you haven't found your purpose, right, and you're making money, you're doing well, married, have kids, or you want to be whatever it is, but what breaks your heart? Mm-hmm. What, when you lay on the pillow at night in bed, other than maybe thinking about your checkbook or frustrated with the news, what breaks your heart and, and align yourself with that and see how you can help others. But we'd love to have any of you join us, come with us to any of the countries, um, get involved. Uh, we, we have a broad range of, of choices. And again, regardless of your faith, uh, we want to love you, add value to you and bring you along for the ride. I love it. I love it. Well, I'll be sending this out to all of our friends and investors and, um, I hope they reach out because that's well, yeah. just like your, your motto says, you know, wealth, but, but with a purpose. Yeah. And I think that's huge. Um, thanks. You know, thanks, Sam. Yeah. It's not all about the dollars and cents. So no, Scott, and, and it, I think lastly, I do need to, before you close, just say, remember, this has been educational. Uh, I'm very regulated. It's very important uh, that you guys don't take anything specifically as an investment recommendation. Go meet with a trusted advisor. And if you don't have one, feel free to call our firm. Uh, we have advisors that'll meet with you and take you through. We have a refined process that we'll go through. Yep. And, and, you know, references I've, I've heard speak very highly of you and your firm. I'll make sure the the website and contact info is in the show notes as well. Um, but, but yeah, get, get advice, get educated um, on the real estate side. You know, we love helping people. Um, but yeah, get a financial advisor. Scott and his group are, are fantastic. And um, that's why we had him on. Um, but this has been great, Scott. Thank you so much. Thanks. I really appreciate the value you've added to our listeners. Thank you, Sam. It's been my pleasure. Have a great day, buddy. Mm-hmm.